turn, if you will, to Luke 16. I'd like for Jesus to be our teacher today. Is that okay? If you don't like the sermon, tell Jesus. Just send him all complaints. It's his. We begin in chapter 16. It's quite interesting. Chapter 15, he tells of a boy that squandered all of his father's goods. Chapter 16 is about money. 16, he's going to tell us a story about a shrewd but dishonest servant. He's going to make comments on money and our attitude, how we handle it, and what he tells us. Then you go on to the rest of the chapter. He tells about a rich man who lifts his eyes up in hell and a poor man in heaven, constantly stressing finance, uh, eternity, and this whole scenario. Because in Judaism at the time, to have money meant you had God's favor. Uh, You couldn't be poor and have God's favor. Uh, You couldn't be a Lazarus and be under divine blessing. And here Jesus says, one man's rich for eternity while poor in time. Another man's poor for eternity who had a short period of being rich in time. But we'll just pick up the early part. Let me begin. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that his man that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So he's being fired on sight. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, who were basically uh, people who rented the land for their crops and they paid their debts by crops. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil, he said to him. Take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. You see, the the master had left him with the accounts. He left him with the books. So he hadn't collected those yet. So he has time to do this kind of activity. So he said, take your bill, write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now Christ begins to give his teaching to them, his disciples, about you and money and how to use it. Listen to what he says. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. 
And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't be a slave to both. The word for serve is a strong word used of being a slave, dedicated servant. So uh, I asked this question if I uh, wasn't in Hebrews, and I'm only taking a short break. I asked the question that kind of haunted me, can God trust you? It's kind of scary, isn't it? Can God trust you? And I think of five areas, just beginning, when we think about trust. I, I got that line a while back. Uh, someone said, can God trust you to trust him when things are going tough? Can God trust you to trust him when things are going rough? And I thought, that's a, a wonderful concept. Can God trust? And then it just hit me. Does God ever trust us? And it seems to be uh, he does. And I thought of five areas. that I said, uh, money, can he trust you with his money in your pocket? Who does the money belong to that's in your pocket? That sounds nice. Who owns it, ultimately? Well, God, at least you're theologically right. But you know, once it's in your pocket, it's mine. Forget all this theology. That's my money. Um, Two, can he trust you with the gospel? It gave us a great commission to go to all peoples, go as far as we can with the gospel, and Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, I have been put in trust with the gospel. What are you doing with the gospel message? Was it meant for you to keep to yourself or was it meant for you to pass it on? Pass it on. Uh, and isn't it amazing? You become a Christian say, I've got mine. Too bad for you. Figure it out. I'm on the ark. It's not my business to tell you how to get on. But no, no, no. He has entrusted his people with the gospel. How are you doing with it? Three, can he trust you with the talents he's given you? Matthew 25 tells of a man that buried his talent, and the other men used their talent, and it multiplied, and the Lord rewards him. But some bury their talent, and that could be money. Talent then was really a measure of finances measure of wealth, but whatever God's given you, can he trust you to use it for his glory? Or will you hoard it, bury it, whatever? Fourthly, can he trust you to be faithful in ministry? We often uh, use this line, I just want to hear the Lord say, 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to ask you a question. Will the Lord lie to you about it? What if you haven't been faithful? He might say, welcome, but you haven't been faithful. Heaven's free. You don't get into heaven because you earned it. It's a good thing. He'd eliminate the population. But what about faithful? It is required of a steward, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, that he be found faithful, reliable, doing what the master told him to do. Are you faithfully carrying out what God has entrusted to you? This is in the church's responsibility, not my responsibility, because the Lord says, each one of you will give an account to the Lord for yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Each man has a private audience with the Lord. What did you do, Phil Howard, uh, with the ministry I gave you? He didn't give me Chuck Swindoll's ministry. He didn't give me MacArthur's ministry. He gave me Phil Howard's ministry. Have you been faithful to do what I told you to do? Don't bring up anyone else. Just you and I. What did I tell you to do? You remember what Paul said? I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. I did what the Lord told me on the Damascus Road, and I go to a martyr's death, but I did what he told me to do. Can God trust you to be faithful? Finally, can God trust you to use the spiritual gift that he gave you to edify others. First, Peter 4, 10, and 11, he says there, regarding your spiritual gift, you're like a steward. You are accountable to the master for how you use your gift. Five areas, money, the gospel, your talents, uh, whether you're reliable in ministry, or to use our common vernacular, are you a flake? We just can't count on you. Sign up for everything. We've had people make commitments in this church for $100,000 that never gave five. Just not reliable. We learned it in the offices. Uh, this is fantasy. Don't count it. It's just, it's just blowing smoke. And then, what about your spiritual gift? Are you doing what God saved you to do? And that's between you and the Lord for sure. Now, let us uh, look at this text. First of all, the story. It's an unusual story, and expositors, they're confused about it. Here, you've got the Lord telling the story about this guy that gets fired, uh, and in the meantime, while he still has the books, he starts discounting all of the uh, creditors and the people that owe his master. It's not even his money. He's overseeing it. And he says, slash the bill. Slash the bill. And in the story, even the owner, when he catches on to what he did, commends him for what a shrewd plan that is. Our word shrewd is usually negative. He's shrewd. And we take that to be... Uh, Oh, uh, crooked. But the word really mean, meant wise. That, that's the root of the word. He was wise. Now, 
you may not know it, but crooks are wise. They're pretty smart. How can they, how can they beat you out of whatever you had? They're smarter than you. They know how, but choose for evil. But when wisdom, he says, man, you, you are to be commended, not for being dishonest, <laughs> commended that you came up with this plan how to protect yourself in the future. And how did he do it? Essentially, he did it by the right use of money or means, possessions. He said, I'm going to, it wasn't his, he's dishonest. But it was a shrewd plan. And the Lord steps in on that and he said, the sons of this world are more shrewd with their own generation than the sons of light. I tell you, you disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Go out and steal somebody's money. No. No, he's not commending that. You need to be as smart as this guy. He saw money could do something for the future. Money could influence people. Money could guarantee him maybe a job, because you remember, next week he's out of work, and he goes to this guy. He says, hey, yeah, how you doing? Good. Hey, you remember last week we cut your bill by 50%? Well, all of a sudden I'm out of work. Would you consider me for a job? Why? Yeah. You get it? You got it? Are you shrewd or dumb? Are you awake? Talk to me. Okay. So shrewd. Really sharp. Okay. So now, when you get that story, say, okay, Jesus, what in the world do you want me to get? He said, don't worry. I got some lessons I want to teach you. Five things I want to teach you. I want to bring out of this. Number one. Why don't you use money with the future in mind? Why don't you quit using money for the now and start making investments for the future? Uh, be smart. Don't consume it all now. Uh, do any of you have a passbook account? Do you ever save? What do we teach young people? Save, save. When I first started this church, I wound up living with my brother because I couldn't make the apartment rent. So he let me move in with him. And I didn't get a salary, but my brother was working two jobs. He's working at the firehouse and he's working ironwork and uh, had been broke as he can be. Lived out of his own car for two years. So he knew what it was to be broke. Used to park his car in Elsa Brandy where the sun would wake him up in the morning then he went to the gas station to brush his teeth. So he knew what it was to be broke. Uh, but on Monday, he'd get off a shift or whatever, and uh, he'd say, uh, did you go to the bank today? Now, this is Monday. This is my Monday. I I'm off. I I'm at this church. We're starting. No salary. None of that. They, they, would, they had on the envelope, pastor, if anybody gave to it. I'd get $70. Some weeks I'd get 80 and so it wasn't very much. And so um, I get these Monday drills when I dread seeing him come home. Did you go to the bank? I'd be, well, it's none of your business, but since he's paying the rent, buying all the food, I guess I'm, I'm willing to be answerable. And, and so uh, he said, did you go to the bank? And what he meant by that, did you go 
put in these savings. I, one day I just said, David, I only got $70. What do you mean go to the bank? He said, well, you know, 10% to God, 10% to you. I said, don't be a laugh, David. You mean $7? You think I ought to drive down? Here, mechanics, here's seven bucks. And he said this, if you can't save on 70, you'll never save on 700. Isn't that corny? Isn't that corny? It's the same way with giving. If you don't give on $70, I guarantee you, you won't give on 700. The income of America has gone up 37% since the 80s, and the giving has gone down to less than 2%. Uh, we gave out uh, this year, uh, you know, we have to give receipts around here. So somebody actually knows if you give or not. And I'm not on that committee. Uh, be nice to Ron Hughes or whatever. They gave me, uh, we gave out, um, let's see. Uh, let me see here. We gave out 1,122 Receipts for giving last year. So over 1,100 people gave something last year. Isn't that wonderful? Wait, don't get too happy. Over 466 households in this church that gave, gave less than $250 for the year. That means they gave $21 a month, $21. You don't know anything about giving. Just tipping God. You don't know. And you come from different backgrounds. Uh, I was just talking recently to a very wealthy man uh, who only began to become a giver as he got up in years. And he told me, he said, um, he said, I, I've been in church most of my life, but I've been a tipper. I, I, I never was proportionate. I never was sacrificial. I just, you know, the plates there, put in 20 bucks, keep passing. I never thought about giving in church and uh, tithing, never heard the word. Tithing, by the way, means 10%. And don't let that bother you. At least it gave you a proportion. You're, you're to be a proportionate giver, 1 Corinthians 16.1. Let every man give as God has prospered him. Some of you have been given the same $20 for 20 years. Because I, I, I picked 20 bucks and that's it. Now God's increased your income. He's blessed you. This. No, 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 no. 20 bucks is the golden. 21 a month. I don't want to get carried away here. With that. And so we find out we met last year a $2.4 million uh, ministry fund. Let me tell you. Just, I know you love this stuff. You're already yawning, but you need to know it. Uh, we, we made a budget for this new year. Our ministry fund, let's see, I, I saved my envelope, I think. Did I give today? No. I only give it when I feel it. You're kidding? Uh, this general fund we're calling ministry fund. Now, now, we pay little things out of ministry fund, like, now, this is going to bless you. Are you ready? Take notes. We pay $1,000 a month 
to access a sewer and pay for a pump that pumps all of our sewage. That's 12000 a year. I just nearly wanted to throw up when I heard that. We're throwing $12,000 a year down the toilet. But you ought to hang out at this place if we can't flush. That makes me sick. I'm not giving for the sewer. Yes, I am. Man, why do we have to do that? I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars we pay in state taxes on employees. Medical is over 100000 Uh And then, you know, some of you, you're so, you $21 givers. You didn't realize we were putting buckets out during that last storm. Did anybody say put out buckets? Real classy. Contemporary. What's your ambiance? Our ambiances are roof leaks. We replenished that roof over there for 50000 Ron's been getting bids. We can redo this roof. Do you think I want to give to put a roof on? I want to send people to Africa. I want to get the gospel out. But they said we could replace it for 60000 so, ministry fund pays for roofs, sewers, uh, staff, and they're a little bit higher than the sewer. Uh, that one guy said he's like the patriarch. He leaned on his staff and died. And so, uh, you know, anyway, insurance, staff, the mor- then the mortgage. We pay 480000 a year on the mortgage. Don't you love that? Don't you just get a burden to give more? No, you don't. You're yawning. But somebody gives in this church, big time. There's about 150 of you that enable us to underwrite this entire ministry. We give hundred and uh, about 105000 a year to missions. We give about... 80,000 normally. Every uh, November, we double their pay. It's their Christmas gift. What we like to do, this is crazy. We're thinking about if we could unify our budget and combine missions, ministry fund together. What I would like to see happen, I wish we could pay tithe off of our ministry fund to missions, which would be a quarter of a million dollars. We're only giving 100. I'd love to see us give 250000 But you'd have to meet that need. On and on and on. But some of you, you don't know what these are about. We have giving envelopes. And I would start at ministry fund. Start there. We're coming to a capital stew program. We'll be in, we'll start about March. And we'll go through May. Those three months. In which we are trying to not just pay mortgage. We owe $4.2 million. I wish we'd pay it off because I'm tired of paying banks. I'd like to have that money free for ministry. But you know what? This is what I remember. Most of you can't remember it. You weren't there. You don't know. So don't say a word. I'm already mad at you. 
I remember when people were freezing to death in the building we were in before here. It was the Rio Theater in Rodale. Go down there if you want to get depressed. Now, the Mexicans have bought that building, and boy, they've done an incredible facelift. They've, done, they've just refurbished that building. It's, it's beautiful from when we had it. We had it. People were freezing. I had a man there by the name of Ken Kunkel that was dying of some kind of a blood disease, and he would have to bring his blanket to church because we couldn't heat it good. And he'd wrap up. Some of our seniors would wear blankets. Uh, it was terrible. And then we got to move out here. I'm glad for this. If you're a senior, you won't have to bring a blanket here. You won't have to freeze. We'll see to it. We'll see to it. We've come a long ways, a long ways. But ministry costs. And Jesus is saying, first thing about money is, can I use my money for a future good? Or will it all just go down, as they say, a rat hole? Or maybe this. I know men that said I snorted a fortune up my nose and about killed myself while I took all my profits and spent it on cocaine. You see, the same money that buys a prostitute and buys some cocaine and can gamble is the same money that can support a church, reach kids to go to camp, and support a missionary. It's not the money that's evil, it's the way it's used. It's how it's used. Which way do you, you know what? I'll tell you a, a wonderful story. Uh, several weeks ago, I want to put out the Bible today. We need $2,700 more for this camp. I thought it was already underwritten, but they say, no, we need more. Should have never opened that can of worms. That's okay. We'll put the Bible. You do whatever you want. But we had a guy during that uh, offering for these kids. Uh, he came up to one of our men, and he put a wad of bills in his hand. He said, here. He said, this was my gambling money for the uh, Super Bowl. But I'd rather send a kid rather than to bet on the Patriots. He could have made a killing. Did he put it in the right place? See, he can use it to help kids get over here and gamble it. Is it? Do you think people ever gamble? Let me, I, I had some figures just in case you ask. <laughs> Where, uh, let's see. Yeah, th this is an old figure, so I can't tell you the exact year, but um, the money that was spent on lotto tickets in 36 states was $24 billion. Uh, for movie tickets, we spent $8 billion. And you know, most of them just really help your marriage, strengthen you in the Lord, make you holy. Holy terror. Uh, so, Jesus, what are you telling us? Get smart in the way you use money. Quit being stupid. Get as smart as the world. At least the world knows how to use money today to have a future. Second, use money to influence people. This guy is influencing people with money. 
because he's going to need people in the future for a job. And that, that's his evil side. But he was shrewd. He knew how to use that money for a gain. Now, Christ says something that is astounding. Verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. Now, why is wealth unrighteous? Uh, seldom does money between uh, buying and selling, buying and selling, it usually gets dirty somewhere in the deal. Somebody could be dishonest. Money is neutral. It's, it's not good or bad. It, it's, it's just money. Uh, I'd pull it out, but I don't want anyone taking it. Uh, is that money is, is neutral. You know, a gun is neutral. What decides what a gun is is who holds it and how the gun's used. I'm not against guns. I'm against killers. I'm not against guns. I think I could use one if I thought you were going to kill my family. And I think God would bless me. Sorry, not a pacifist. But I went to a pacifist school. Don't want to get there. I tell you, make friends. Notice this. So that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now that's interesting. He's taking what he's teaching right into eternity. Let's ask a question. Are you saying, Jesus, I could use money to influence and help people enter eternal dwellings? Uh, and then he says something about these people. Use money in such a way that they will welcome you. Welcome you into eternal dwellings. Wait, wait. I go to heaven. I'm there. Jesus said, will you have anybody there to welcome you? And in this context, because of the way you use money to influence their life. Isn't he talking about money? Come on. Don't be so spiritual that you go mute. Look, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of your personality, by means of your church, by the way you use money, wealth, whatever possessions you have. Why? So that when it fails, and do you think your money is going to fail? It will really fail you when you die. You'll leave this world naked. And if it wasn't for your family and friends, you could rot. You could be out, left and exposed in the birds of the air. No, we'll give you a proper funeral, but you will lose all control over money the moment you're gone. Our brother Tim, his mother passed away this morning, 8 o'clock. She's with the Lord. Eleanor, you're there. And you were a faithful, godly woman all these years. And you'll have plenty of rewards on the other side. And he said, use that so that when it fails, and all buddy, everybody's money's going to fail at death, you don't need a checkbook in heaven, you won't need visa, and you'll be there. And he said, who will welcome you? Anybody on the receiving line? And when I was going over my notes, years ago, we used to have a dear woman we are in the Family Life Center. Uh, her name was Marge Roberts. She had a daughter, Rihanna. 
Anybody remember them? Yeah. Well, Marge uh, uh, was dropping out of choir because she didn't have the money to dress for it. She just had a shabby wardrobe. School teacher and a single mom and uh, raising Rihanna on her own. And uh, she uh, was having all kinds of economic needs. Uh, Couldn't be in the choir, couldn't clothe Rihanna. I was so embarrassed, was a hard-working woman, uh, a, a noble kind of gal, uh, with those who knew her loved her. Wonderful. Well, I don't know how it came about. Somebody in the church found out about it, and uh, the finances was given, and I had the privilege, I was told, call Marge and tell her we're going to clothe her. Call her and tell her we're going to clothe Rihanna. Call her and tell her we're going to do this for this uh, beneficiary. Someone has sent this check. Call her up and tell her. Well, after five minutes of weeping, she started talking. You don't know what it's like to be broke. You don't know what it's like to be a struggling single mom. You don't know what it's like. And then she writes this letter to the elders thanking us. I don't think any of the elders gave it. We just got credit. Somebody gave it out of the church. And uh, you know what? I just, as I was thinking about this message, whoever gave that, I just notified her. I didn't give it. Someday, I don't even think we told her who gave it. Might have been you. When you get to heaven, maybe God's got to arrange where Marge will be on your receiving committee. Thanks. You helped me to this place. Thanks. I cannot tell you all the people that have helped me get to this point in life financially. Cars. Everything, you know, you can't say this. Everything I've got in life economically came through this local church. I landed here $1,000 in debt owing tuition. I had to give up my car. I had to move in with my brother. I started a zip and everything I've got God gave me through you, dear people. Everything. Cars, trips, finances, five surgeries that I didn't pay a dime on because you pay a health plan for our employees. You, you did it. I'll be on your committee. I'll be there. Who's going to be on your committee? Have you helped anybody personally with money? Get to the city. Say, oh, no, no, baby. I said on mine. Was set on it. God use somebody else. But you won't be rewarded for it, and God won't call you faithful. He'll say, you were unfaithful with what I gave you. You robber, according to Malachi. I'm being nice. He's going to be brutally honest. Well, let's keep going. This is too convicting. Uh, Verse 10. Some other principles. Third principle. Number one, use money with a future mind. Number two, use money to influence people. Thirdly, uh, the way you use money will determine whether God will trust you with true riches. One who is faithful in a very little, in this context, money is also faithful in much. If you don't pass the test, 
with money, you won't ever graduate to greater riches. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So if you're not faithful with whatever you have, whatever, it doesn't matter, the $7. Uh, has anyone ever tithed on $10? I got it in my ledger. I got ledgers back to when I was 15. I've been keeping records since I was 15. That's 55 years. I've got ledgers on God. I can tell you what he gave me. I can tell you what I gave back. Because I'm going to take him up. I want to see if I can catch him cheating me, you know. You've got to keep God honest. I've got to keep me honest. So I, I love the ledgers. I'm going to give them to my kids. They'll burn them up. I grew up, Pentecostals weren't afraid to teach on money. 1% of preachers in America, according to Randy Alcorn, talk about money. Everybody wants your money. Everybody. But as soon as the church speaks to it, oh, there they go, wanting your money. No, no, you don't mind everybody else wanting it. You go in the door knowing that. We're going to frisk you before you get out of here. We're going to sell you something. Right? You live with that. You come to church. Woo, that wasn't the gospel. Well, the gospel cost something, and thank God you didn't pay for it. The redemption price has been paid. But when he gets a redeemed people, he wants us to act like our redeemer. And one of those ways is we become as generous in heart as our God. He's a generous God. He's a gracious God. And it is a contradiction to meet a stingy Christian. It does not represent God. Not at all. Well, uh, are you faithful in little? And I grew up on this line. If you sow dollars, you reap dollars. If you sow hundreds, you reap hundreds. If you sow and it keeps going, you reap what you sow. Start where you are. Start where you are. Start today. You folks that are tipping God, quit tipping. He doesn't get any glory. He, he gets no honor. You're not being a steward over what he gave you. You're just occasional, boom, drop something in maybe to help the kids go to camp. But if we don't remind you, you won't do it. If we don't say it, you won't do it. We used to not even pass a plate. We had a box in the back. Doesn't bother me. I'm going to give anyway. Whether it's a box or a plate, I'm going to give. Because giving, I've settled with the Lord. What about you? Have you? Do you even talk to God about what you give? By the way, you men, you're wimps when it comes to the giving. Well, we give whatever our wife says. When did your wife become the head of your house? When, when did you cease to be the priest of your house? When did you cease to be the spiritual leader? The giving in your house ought to reflect your spiritual leadership. And if it's not being done, it's on you. None of this advocating. Wow, she takes care of the finances. Let her take care of it. But you better talk about, this is what we give to the Lord. I know what I made. This is what we must give to the Lord. Start with a ministry fund. If God allows you, help us to support missions. Missionary support's going down. We don't ring the bell enough on it, so some of you aren't supporting it, so it's going down. Guess what? We'll cut missionaries when you cut giving. We, can't, we don't give what we don't have. We ought to be multiplying. Multi if this 466 people gave just 2,500, 2,500, our giving would just shoot up because all of us would be bearing the load. 
bearing the load. So he says, money is a test, a small test. And if you don't pass that, you don't graduate to true riches. Fourth thing, money and faithfulness to God. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous well, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you what is your own? So he's saying, here's wealth. Here's what God's given you. How are you managing God's resources? How are you putting God's kingdom first? Does God come first, Ebenezer? Or does you? You. And by the way, the biggest spenders of money are the men, not the women. It's been proven. Because you see, the, I used to always get my wife. I'd give her grocery money and stuff like that. And then, uh, now I kept some money, but it was all for me. Because pretty soon she's buying girls' clothes. And she, she's buying, uh, one day she said to me, this is a little embarrassing. She said, you know, I need some more money. Your girls need underwear. And I said, now how would I know that? She said, you don't. Fork it out, Scrooge. You give me this money, you want me to buy gas, buy food, clothe your three girls, all of this, it comes out of my money, not yours. And guess what? Us men, we'll go out and buy a boat, go out and buy a big deer rifle. We only get one deer every decade. <laughs> Come on, bud, we got to have the best. Got to get another set of clubs. Your score hadn't improved, but I got to have it. I got to look good. And she's over here buying hoes. Honey, we can't afford, man, you're spending too much. Yeah, I know the grocery bill was $200. I shouldn't have fed you all that filet. Boy, economics, everybody's got an economic philosophy, and about 90% of it has nothing to do with God's philosophy. He said, true riches. Money's not the true riches. It's just the monopoly money that God uses to test our character to see if we can handle it. If we handle that right, God says, guess what? I want to give you some true riches. Mm. I wonder what it is. Let's keep on. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Look at a verse with me, uh, Colossians. Look at Colossians. Just, uh, it's an interesting verse, 3, 5. He uses a strong Greek word for strong desires. And notice what he says. 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. These desires, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and then covetous. And, and covetousness is strong desire for more. Strong desires for more, which is, what does the verse say? Greed is idolatry for the believer. You want more of something. You're, you're not contented. I got to have it. I, I got to have it. I'm always reaching for more, more. Matter of fact, it's one of the categories in 1 Corinthians you discipline for, and we've never disciplined anyone for covetousness. 
I mean, we, we never touched that one. Uh, it's interesting. Co- Paul said this was the commandment that slew him, covetous. Are you contented or always coveting? You're never contented. I got to have more. I got to have more. And that's the way it is with money. The more you covet money, you'll covet the things money can buy, and on and on, and the cycle just keeps going, 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 going. Those who love money have never have enough money because their appetites keep just growing and growing. What did he say? You cannot serve God and money. I ask you this way. Um, if you died and we could examine your checkbook or your ledger or however, if you keep any record, what would it show you loved and show that you served? Duke Wellington, Duke of Wellington, uh, many biographies were written about him, but one biographer came along and discovered his ledger of where he put his money, uh, and uh, he, the guy researched it and looked at it, and he said, I've got a picture of the Duke of Wellington far above the other biographers. Why? Because I got his giving records, I know what he loved. I know what he loved. Because you put your money, Jesus said, into what you love. Into what you love. A man's heart follows his treasures. And uh, I'm asking you, ask the Lord Jesus, am I using your resources right? Am I supporting what you once supported? The last I found out, he's not building your company. He's not building IBM. He's building one thing on the earth called his church. Because he's a lot more in love with people than he is prophets. You don't believe that or else you give. Those that do give, do believe it. Look, what does God really love on the earth? What's the most important thing on this earth? I think, from God's point of view, it's trying to influence people to be in the eternal dwellings, evangelizing them, nurturing them, caring for them, until we get to glory. Are we doing that? If we're not, keep your money. Don't give your money if we're frauds. Please keep it. Please keep it. Please keep it. If we're fraudulent ministry, please send it to someone you can trust. If you think we're wasting money caring for children, please don't support us. If you think we're wasting money supporting these 11 missionaries, don't give to it. If you think we don't preach the gospel, withhold your support. If you think we shouldn't be on the radio telling the Bay Area, the gospel redeems and saves. If you think this preacher's phony, please, please don't violate your conscience. But if we are and you withhold your support, don't say you love us. Don't say you love the church. Don't say you love Christ, for you're lying through your teeth. You cannot love what you do not support. You do not love what you will not support. What are we doing with kids? What are we doing with seniors? What are we doing? I think for 44 years, we've tried to love people, preach the word to people, 
care for people, put up with people, fight for their marriages, fight for their kids, fight to tell the truth, fight to tell the gospel, and fight to be faithful until he comes. He hasn't come yet. I'm not preaching through a revival. I'm, dry, I'm preaching through a dry season in American history when God's church needs a revival. But in the meantime, I'm going to seek to be faithful. What do you do if he doesn't revive us? Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. So that when he comes, he says, you're doing what I told you to do with your money, with your body, with my word. Are you being faithful? Can God trust you? Can God trust you? Only you can answer that question. Only you can answer that question.